0: I work at the office from 9 to 5, Monday through Thursday. This is the lifestyle by design that I want to live. There are people who will be like, yeah, I'll work 80-hour weeks. And it's like, all right, well, let's see how long you can do it before you burn out. Let's see how long you can do it before your health deteriorates. Let's see how long you can do it before you lose your marriage. They're not sustainable plans. How
1: would you be able to balance business and family?
0: If you're a solopreneur, everything's reliant on you. You got to have great employees, and that starts with having a great leadership team. And here's also the thing. For me, I was... My
1: friend and, my gosh, global takeover entrepreneur. Where do we start you, Ryan Panera? Future future partner. Oh, well, conversations that, uh, (laughs) well, I don't know if you want to put on the podcast, but nonetheless, my friend, you are a man of many talents and truly are an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. Mm. You've done so much incredible things and more than anything else, self-made. Yeah. Amazing, my friend. We're going to get into that story, I know, but- I want to start off the podcast by talking about what's just happened in the last week with you, my friend. My
0: goodness, <sighs> yeah, dude, um, had a third child. Uh, his name is Judah. He's healthy, but man, it was a wild experience, dude. I uh, we did we did a home birth, which we had never done before. I didn't know that was really like a thing that people did, but my wife really wanted to do it, and you know, all my kids up to this point, have been premature. My son was two months. My daughter was a month. And, you know, to do a home birth, they said, you got to make it past a certain day in order for it to be safe. And so we made it past that day, you know, like (laughs) a week ago. And then boom, around 1am on Saturday, uh, my wife's water breaks and we're like, it's go time. Well, the midwife tells us, Hey, you know, go back to sleep, like just chill you know, labor takes a while. So you'll be all right. Just get some rest. Well, Judah was like, nah, it ain't, it ain't like that. Like I'm ready to go. And so about four o'clock, she's already like probably nine centimeters dilated, ready to go. And I called the midwife and I'm like, Hey, are you, you know, almost here? She's like ready to go. And she's like, ah, oh, maybe like 15 minutes. I'll be there. And so my wife gets in the tub and she's like screaming in pain And she's like, I don't know if I'll be able to do this. Like, I don't know if he's going to come out and I'm like, whatever. Right. And I look down there and I see his head and I'm like, hello, dad. He's right there. And mind you, he's underwater. This is a totally different type of birth from the hospital. And I'm thinking, dang, she's not going to make it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, all right, I don't want him to drown. Like, I don't know anything about this. Like, just push him out, push him out as hard as you can. And like, let's go within 30 seconds poof, just pops out so fast. It was unbelievable because really? I had seen my other two kids like, you know, they come out slow and yeah. like, but this is in water like, and it's <laughs> submerged. And it was like, he just popped out. And so I had delivered him yeah. with, it was just me and her. It was crazy. What a crazy,
1: beautiful experience. Right? Yeah. I mean, so, so obviously I'm sure the midworth is on, I uh, on uh fish time or whatever. Right. Or, or uh, what so it? I had
0: her on speakerphone, speakerphone because right. I was like, are you almost here? And she's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm about 10 minutes away now. And I go, babe, just, just wait 10 minutes. She's almost <laughs> just here. It again. Yeah. Just hold him in. And she's like, I can't. And the midwife literally goes, I don't think I'm going to make it in time. Wow. And I go, okay, well, I guess I'm going to do it. Like there's, there's no one else. It's me. Before we get into the whole business stuff, which, and um, you know, why we're here,
1: by the way, <laughs> yeah. I think there's something to this. So, I don't know, I would have been, you get in the car, babe, you go in the hospital, but your wife is adamant that she was going to have the home birth, right? Yeah. She'd, so, um, my gosh, I couldn't even put myself in your experience because seeing what well, my way through went through was traumatic as it was, but for, to birth one of my, my kids. Yeah. Man. But again, what a beautiful experience. And for you, that's a very bonding moment for, for all three of you. Yeah, um, and uh, Jonah, you said Judah. Judah, I'm sorry, Judah. Yep. Not biblical name.
0: But but now, I mean, for me, anytime I meet other dads, the first thing I ask them is like, "Have you delivered your own kid?" Though, because oh. if you haven't, then it's just like <laughs> I can't it, hang out with you. Yeah, there's not. Well, what do you say to that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh well, listen. Congratulations. This is new news. This is one of the reasons why I don't even. If you've spoken about it on any other podcast yet, no, not I yet. know you got your no. own stuff. I've been on.
0: this is actually the first day I'm back at work. Wow. Yeah. you come and see me? I don't know why, but yeah, don't I'm back.
1: Downhill fast. Yeah. There's I'm gonna here. be a lot of uh, shit talk on the <laughs> podcast. As you can see, I know that he's got a few things up his sleeve. But for the audience that are watching, outside of you know, having that feather that you had of home birth dad, yep. How would you describe Ryan Panera and who is Ryan Panera?
0: You know, as uh I've gotten older. It's always changed. You know, my identity was always kind of in something different as my career was going on. But like you, as an athlete, you know, I played pro baseball for many years. I got drafted by the Oakland A's, who are now going to be the Las Vegas A's. So it's kind of um, full circle. Yeah. So you know, for me, for most of my twenty, well, actually, my entire life up until you know my mid to late twenties, I was an athlete. And during that time, you know, I wasn't making any money in the minor leagues, it's probably very similar to like (laughs) what bodybuildings like until you (laughs) get to the big time. Right. So I wasn't making any money and I had to become an entrepreneur. That was the only way to continue playing while also providing. And so I got into real estate and started as a realtor and hated that. Eventually I became a house flipper, and you know, that became very successful. Um, to this point I flipped, man, I think probably over 600 homes now, And, you know, that led to a whole bunch of other businesses and entrepreneurial things. You know, as my career in business has gone on, my mind has been open to all these different new opportunities. And so for me, I get in businesses that like I personally use. I'm like, wow, like this is cool. I want to do this. Like I understand how it works. And so, you know, at this point, I've founded six different businesses that are doing seven, eight figures a year. And... You know, I I decided to get on social media a few years ago, and you know it's blown up. And you know, over the last three years, we've gotten almost a billion views online. So, yeah, I mean, I I do a lot of things at this point. Yeah, um, but again,
1: how much you think an athlete, you being that high, uh, you know, being a professional athlete, has forged you to be a better entrepreneur? Is it correlations?
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, you would know. It's like being a great entrepreneur involves a lot of discipline. It involves coaching. You know, it involves being a good leader. It involves um, doing really hard things that nobody else is willing to do. Um, And so for me, anytime we face adversity, it's like, whatever. I mean, that's what sports is about. Mm. you're, You're facing adversity every day, just getting used to competing. And so it doesn't really matter whether you're competing in a game or the gym or the marketplace. Competition is a good thing.
1: Yeah, and uh, I, I attest to that, my friend. That, like, a uh, bodybuilder has taught me so many of, of my life's lessons as well. Kind of like you said, the unseen, the work that is put on. And you and I are, are on camera a lot. Yeah. So it's the unseen of not being watched. It's the unseen of doing the things that, you know, we could probably get away with. But because of our mindsets, this is what really has made us.
0: Yeah, 100%.
1: Um, Earlier on in the the entrepreneurial career of yours, you started flipping couches. Yeah. I know this is a story that you've t- told many times, but truly, um, I want the viewers to understand that you are self-made and everything that you've done, you have grinded, you have put your heart back to front and, and chased down all these opportunities from a few hundred bucks now to yeah. millions of dollars. You've gone through each change and leveled up as as years have gone on. But couch flipping <laughs> is what really I c- caught my attention.
0: Yeah you know, when I got on social media, I was already pretty established. Like I had flipped all these homes and I was a multimillionaire. And so I already had a lot of success by the time I started going on social media, talking about it. But uh, as I was making content one day, I was like, man, you know, I'm out of ideas. What should I talk about? And I I just remembered this thing I used to do, you know, before I flipped houses and it was couch flipping. I was like, I'm just going to make a video about this because I think it's going to help somebody little did I know early on in my social media career that that was going to be what blew up and really put me on the map. You know, it it was like my first true viral video. And I was like, wow, this is what people are resonating with because it was a unique thing that nobody had ever heard before. They're like, what you flipped couches. I don't get it. And I literally walked them through it step by step. I'm like, here's what I would do. These were the couches I bought. This was the color. This is how I cleaned them. These are like literally what I wrote in the descriptions Mm -hmm you know, it was very detailed. And then, you know, for me, that was actually my first successful business and first time ever making like good money. You know, I built it to making eight grand a month. And to me, that was like an amazing amount of money. Yeah, And, you know, when I did it, a lot of people were, well, when I made the video, a lot of people were like, BS, dude, you can't do that. Like that, that's not true. Well, you know, fast forward a couple of years later, lots of people have made, you know, videos and remakes and all these things. And I've seen so many people are like, Oh dude, like I quit my job. I, I make 10 grand a month. Like I bought my first rental property. Yeah. I spend more time with my family. Like dude, it changed my life. And so it's crazy. Like to see the success. I mean, there's people making 20, 30 grand a month doing it now.
1: Wasn't it true that you, um, found like
0: a, a group that, uh, was like a, ho- a couch flipping yeah. group Yeah, dude. I, uh, one day somebody sent me this group and they're like, dude, there's like a couch flipping mastermind. I was like, (laughs) no way. And so I I went and joined it in Facebook and I bet they shit. Oh dude. So they approve me and I just make a post and I was just like, Hey guys, like, you know, I, I love that you guys are masterminding, getting better at couch flipping and, and dude, it's awesome to see all the success stories in here. And literally dude, Oh. comments went nuts. They're like, Oh my gosh, it's the goat. It's the, the dude. It, it was like LeBron walked into the arena. They were like, this is our hero. This yeah. is like the, the guy. Because probably nobody's speaking about it at that point in time. I mean, no, I, I mean, I didn't invent it, but like you made it a thing. Yeah. It wasn't a thing. Yeah. I mean, other people have flipped furniture before.
1: So, so talk to me, you know, the levels you went from coach flipping to what was the next stage? Couch flipping. Couch yeah. flipping. So how hard was it? Because listen, you know, I, I kind of are privy to the story. You know, financially, you were still kind of getting on your feet. Um, this was everything that you were doing at the time, but you knew that the next level was to get into real estate, right? So how do you go about that? And, and how did you then transition from couch flipping into real estate?
0: Yeah, you know, I had done cash flipping for about a year. And during that time, I was just completing our first, um, year of marriage. So we were celebrating our one year anniversary and, you know, I was praying and I was like, God, you know, like, I'm super grateful that I'm actually a, a good provider for my wife. Cause I, <laughs> when we got married. I was like, I don't really know how I'm going to provide. Like mm-hmm. I was doing crazy things like substitute teaching to make 90 bucks a day. Really? Yeah. I what mean, was- teaching. Well, dude, here in Clark County, you just freaking like you get approved. They have an app yeah. and then you look on what's available that day. So every morning I'd wake up at like six yeah. and I'd be like, what job is open? And I would pick the closest school that Come was on, like bro. next to my house. Yeah. And then I would just show up and freaking take roll, And that was it. Any crazy yeah. stories from them substitution days? Dude, I had a lot. Um, <laughs> I'll just say, I don't know the best way to say this without sounding.
1: Rip weird. the aid off.
0: Um, this is my
1: podcast straight over there. The,
0: the thing I didn't <laughs> like about substitute teaching was I was still young. So I mm. looked really young. I mean, I was 23, 24. Yeah. And that was, I didn't have a beard back then. The beard is new for me. You know, it's all yeah, that I testosterone. Know. I know. It's so, <laughs> so anyways, I looked like I was still 20. And, um, so I would come into substitute teach or walk through the school and people didn't even know, like I was a teacher. They thought like maybe I was a student, especially in what? high school. And then like, you know, I'd be the substitute teacher and dude, the girls just would go nuts. And it was just like, so embarrassing, just like trying to take role and like deal with this. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, I'm just like here to like cash a check and be done. (laughs) But like, it was nuts. Like just like taking pictures and like all this stuff, like dude, actually somebody had posted this. Um, I saw it on Twitter the other day. Um, some girl, I mean, this would have been 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. She posts a picture of me as a sub and she goes, you'll never believe this, but you know, hot substitute, whatever, uh, is now like a, this big multimillionaire. It's crazy. And I was just like, this is like, how did you even still have this picture from 10 years ago? <laughs> yeah, you know, It's just me like about. sitting at the desk. Like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that was a weird thing. But, uh, dude, I mean, hustling. Hustling. That's what it. he was saying. You're doing anything. Yeah, I was hustling just to, to make money because I didn't know about couch flipping. I didn't know about house flipping. I just mm-hmm. didn't have any other way to make money. And so to me, um, substitute teaching was fine because I was like, oh, that's an easy job. Freaking mm-hmm. 90 bucks. I can still go practice, get my workouts in all that stuff. And then, you know, with, with couch flipping, you know, we're on our one year anniversary and I'm praying and I'm like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Cause I'm not going to like flip furniture forever. Like I know I'm, I'm destined for more than that. Mm-hmm you know, I had, I heard him like very clearly say real estate. And for me, part of that story that I didn't mention was that I became a realtor like five years prior, you know, I got my real estate license in 2010. So I'd been dabbling in it, but I sucked. I was a terrible realtor. And so I hated real estate. I actually felt like I had failed. How can you be a real, a terrible realtor
1: in what, in what sense, just just describe what, what you weren't good at.
0: I mean everything, so uh, <laughs> I, I I couldn't get clients because I just didn't well, have to market right. There. right? Yeah. Like Best, so, number one, that's right number there. one, right? You don't have to do anything <laughs> else. Yeah. Well, but number two was even when I got a client, I wasn't good at like I, I mean I knew what a deal was and everything, but yeah. I wasn't a good like people person. I'm like blows well, my mind. Well, I'm like flex. Well, well, here's why I'm like flex. This is t- what you told me you want. It's good. Yeah. Let's put an offer, and you're like no. And I'm, and in my mind, I'm just like, dude, I'm not dealing with this. Like Uh you're wishy-washy. You're not serious. I don't want to do it. That's why you need (laughs) thick skin, bro, for that stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I just, I I don't have time for it. Yeah. So after a couple of years, I gave up. I was like, I had a license, but I gave up. So when, when I heard God telling me getting back into real estate, I'm thinking real estate, I already failed at that. Like think about what I had failed at to this point. I failed at real estate. I'd already been released by the Oakland A's. So my baseball career wasn't where I thought it was. Um, I just now finally started to have a little bit of success, you know, flipping couches. I was a terrible substitute teacher, right? So at this point, I'm like, and, and by the way, too, I also applied for real jobs and couldn't get one, you know? So everything to this point forced me into entrepreneurship. I just didn't have a choice. I didn't grow up wanting to be an entrepreneur. I just wanted to play baseball, and, you know, by the time, uh, you know, we, we were one year in marriage though, I, I did hear God telling me like, get it back into real estate. But this time I want you on the investing side. And so, you know, through a long string of events, I had multiple signs and it led me down the path of finding these books and other things. And I was like, I get it. I can definitely flip houses. You know, I, I had this misconception that you needed all this money, saved up. You need all this cash money to go flip a house. And the truth is you don't, you don't really need any money. Tell us about that. Cause there's obviously this is your audience. Yeah. So as a realtor, they tell you, Hey, the investors, they just buy all cash. You're like that's the only way to get a good deal. And at that time, that's what I believed. And I also thought, well, the only other way to get a, a deal or a house is through a loan. You just get a 30 year loan and you got to have good credit. You got to have tax returns. You got to have, you know, job history. I didn't have any of that. I was flipping couches, you know? So I'm like, I can't qualify for a loan and I don't have cash. There's no way I can get into this business. Well, after that, you know, encounter, I realized like, no, that's not true. There are private investors. You can go find who will fund your deals. There are these guys called hard money lenders that lend money. You know, they're at higher interest rates, but like they will fund your deals regardless mm-hmm. of that. And I was like, wow, I could, I could, actually do this if I find a deal. So I went home and I was like, babe, I'm going to flip houses. Like I already knew how to find deals. My problem when I was a realtor wasn't that I couldn't find deals. It was that I just hated working with clients and (laughs) I couldn't find clients and I couldn't like convince them to buy the deal. So Mm -hmm. I go, if I'm my own client, I'll find as many deals as possible. So, you know, a couple months later I found my first deal and I got a hard money loan. At the time I didn't know any private lenders so I maxed out all my credit cards. My wife and I's. we maxed out $50,000 worth of credit cards and um I bought my first flip. And you know, thankfully it worked out. A couple of months later we sold it and made 25 grand and I was like this is easy. Like give me one of these a month mm-hmm. and we'll be set. How, and uh How many yeah.
1: couches do you had to flip for 25,000?
0: I mean that's 3 months worth of couches. Wow. And I got in one deal. So you know, it was, a lot, it, I'd have to get a lot of couches No, but, but, but to be clear too, though, during that first year, I was still flipping couches okay. because I still needed to pay the bills. Yeah. You know, like I didn't know if it was going to work and in, in house flipping, you don't get paid for months, right? You don't know when it's going to sell. So I was still flipping those couches.
1: So when you talk that profit, did you then, I'm I'm guessing interest rates were zero, I guess the credit no, cards, right? You no, know?
0: honestly, dude, back then yeah. rates were five to six. Okay. I mean, like. My whole real estate career since 2010, rates were always four to six. Right. So, like in this environment we're in today, where people think they're high, I'm like, I mean, not really. They're pretty normal historically.
1: That's what I was going to ask you. But, but going back to to the, you know, the uh, real estate and flipping, you took that first profit, and where you put that profit? Did you then pay off cards, or did you keep them? I, cards? I, I bought a yacht.
0: No, I didn't. So. <laughs> bought some rims for the car. I bought some spinners. Yeah. Sort of um, Bodybuilding
1: 101, that is, man.
0: <laughs> so, no, I, I just bought another deal. I kept my credit cards maxed out for years. Right. Yeah, because I, first off, those credit cards, I got 0% interest for like That's 12 or 18 months. Zero percent. am dude, yeah. I'm going to just run this yeah. as many times, right? And even then, once it was over, I still looked at it. And I was like, all right, I'm basically getting charged 1% a month to borrow this this money But it's, you know, if I'm, if I have 50K in debt, you know, that's 500 bucks a month that I'm paying. It's not a lot of money and it's going to help me go get a deal. That's going to make me Mm 25,000. So I'm going to spend 2000 in interest to make 25,000. Like why would I pay these off?
1: So for somebody that's watching, you know, or somebody that's wanting to get into this world right now, um, what would be one-on-one of getting into, into real estate, what would be your advice?
0: Look, there's lots of ways to get into real estate. You know, most people think they got to be a realtor. Not true. Um, you could flip like what I'm talking about. You could do something called wholesaling, which is even easier. Um, you know, with wholesaling, you just find a deal and you don't have to buy it. You don't have to fix it up. You don't have to do anything. You just got to find somebody like me who will buy the deal from you and pay you a fee. (laughs) So, I mean, I've paid wholesalers a thousand bucks and I've paid them 250,000 bucks, like Mm. depending on the deal, you know, the house I live in today, a wholesaler actually found it and he made like 215 grand on the wholesale fee to me. So, you know, like wholesaling is amazing. Um, you know, and then you can buy rentals. I mean, rentals are great. I own, we have over 500 rentals that we manage and, you know, at the end of the day, um, with rentals, I mean, they're long-term wealth, you know, that people do have a misconception that, oh, I'm going to get enough passive income to, to, to never work again. If I just get 10 rentals, 20 rentals, it's like, they've never had a rental. <laughs> like rentals don't really give you that, you know, you get repairs, you get vacancy, you get all this crap. And then you're like, where did my cash flow go? Mm. The, the purpose of rentals is for the appreciation and the tax benefits. That's why the rich people buy rentals. It's not, for the cash flow. Now, if you hold your rentals long enough, 10 years later, then sure, your cash flow is going to be really good because rents will have risen so much. Um but more than likely, even in that scenario, you're probably going to have refied at some point and pulled some cash out and so now it doesn't even cash flow again, but you got all this cash out that's tax-free from your refinance. So, rentals are great. It just depends, right? Like to to not I guess I'll go somewhat deep, but I have a philosophy that I teach. Okay, it's called make, manage, multiply. Okay, every person's goal who's getting into business starts in the make stage, and the goal is how do I make two hundred and fifty k? That should be the goal because anything less than two fifty, I mean, in today's world, dude, two fifties kind of where you need to be to like live pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got kids, you got a spouse, two fifty is what you need, and. You need to get a skill that can make two fifty. So if you were to say, Ryan, I want to buy rental properties right away. The first thing I would ask you, I'd be like, so how much do you make right now? And you're like, oh, well, I don't really, you know, whatever. I'm like, then you shouldn't buy rentals. You're, you're, you're trying to solve for the wrong problem. You're trying to build long-term wealth when you're still broke. You don't build long-term wealth when you're broke. You figure out how to not be broke. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> what's going to change your life? 200 bucks a month from a, a rental or making 20 grand a month. Yeah. 20 grand. So let's figure out how to get that skill. And so that's why I tell people, I'm like, the rentals will come. Let's first get you to 20 grand a month. So let's flip. Let's wholesale. Those are two ways to get there. From there, once you get that skill, the next stage is manage. Okay, cool. I have this skill. How do I scale it? How do I get it to seven figures? And so with the manage stage, you're learning something completely different. Now you're learning how to hire people and manage. It has nothing to do with flipping and wholesaling or running a gym. Well, running a gym has managed, but you know, if you were a realtor or any of these skills where maybe you're just a solopreneur, a gym trainer, right? You're just a trainer. You just do your own thing in the managed stage. You've got to actually learn how to run a business. So it's maybe like the trainer who now opens a gym right now. I got employees. I got all this crap. So I got to deal with this. Once you get past the managed stage, then it's to multiply and multiply is once you're past seven figures, yeah, you're making money. Your business is growing. What do you want to do to multiply the money you're making? Do you want to invest? Do you want to double down on the business? Do you want to, you know, start a new business? That's how people have to think about the progression if they're going to be an entrepreneur.
1: So for somebody who, who has zero money, what, what was the direction you would go there? Zero money dome. That's kind of like the new thing.
0: Flip or wholesale.
1: Flip or wholesale. Yeah. Obviously we have a, a wide audience here of entrepreneurs all the way down to first-time investors. So I'm trying to cover every basis. And one thing that you've done amazingly, my friend, is put out videos, content, 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 covering so many different topics, different genres. You've interviewed so many incredible people in this field along with many others. Um, For every who hasn't been or hasn't followed or doesn't know Ryan, and for those who do, you will attest that... Your whole Instagram has has really been a how to get into, etc. Yeah, and, and that in itself is is very commendable because you're you're creating wealth for other people that in some cases you, you'll never even met. Yeah, or will meet. Yep. Um, and I think that's a powerful tool. And I'm sure now these stories as the years are, are going on and on, and the more events that you've you're putting on, which I want to talk about. Um, you're hearing these stories where they first seen you and how they came about. And I think it's, it must be very rewarding to hear how you've truly changed somebody's financial wealth just through putting out YouTube videos.
0: Yeah. It's crazy how powerful social media is, right? Because when I, you know, we throw a lot of events and, you know, one of our events is called WealthCon. So we'll have over a thousand people there every quarter. And, you know, when people come up to me I've obviously never met most of them. And they're like, bro, you changed my life. This video did this. I just flipped my first house. I just, you know, did this. I spend more time with my family now. And so it's super rewarding um, just knowing like this technology that we have that never used to exist. You know, the fact is you and I can get on here right now and spend an hour and just chat it up and like, you know, give good value and thousands and thousands of people will see it who we, we don't even know who's watching or how it's impacting them. Mm-hmm. And it's a crazy tool because it used to be if you really wanted to impact somebody before this, you had to go meet them for coffee, you know, go go meet them face to face. And it's like, cool, I can impact one person. Yeah. But now we can impact millions. I know that um, there's
1: a lot of people like our friend, mutual friend, Alex Amorzi has done a phenomenal job of of doing videos where they connect to the audience. Truly giving so much worth in these videos for these, uh, you know, for the viewers to truly, you know, take back and go, wow, this is something I've had for free, but yet when, you know, Alex puts out a book or he does everything else, man, that thing is sold out, and I think that you guys, two different genres, yes, but I, I see both of you being in the same kind of uh, realm of, of just content content content, uh, and just really good content at that, so... Um, different topics, I said, you know, all the way from real estate to invested in in multiple different things, but it's all tailored around changing your life.
0: Yeah. If you're watching this show, my guess is you're probably an entrepreneur who's trying to grow your business. And for me, the best thing I ever did to grow my business was build my personal brand on social media. It's allowed me to get more revenue. It's allowed me to raise more capital and it's allowed me to hire better talent. And if you are not currently creating content, For your brand, you're missing out and your competition is so if you want to learn to grow, my advice is to create a podcast. Now, there's a lot that goes into building a podcast and why I believe it's the best way. So I've actually created a free training that I want you to go check out. If you go to panadamedia.com slash podcast, you can go access the free training right now and see how a podcast is going to be the best decision to grow your personal brand today. So go check it out by clicking the link below. And I'll see you in the training. You know what? What is wealth to you? Describe that. So, you know, I wrote a book called Wealthy Way and it's been a bestseller um, in the business space and entrepreneurship space. And that's kind of like all of our brands are wealthy related. But, you know, in the book, we talk about this. Like, to me, wealth is not just money. You know, wealth is, you know, being fulfilled in all aspects of life. And so, like, we even created an acronym for wealth to help people understand it. So it's like, you take the word wealth, W stands for worship. Like you've got to be spiritually filled because if you're not, you're going to have a void. Okay. E is for education. Hey, we got to constantly be growing. You know, we want to be learning more every single day. A is for affluence. All right. That's finance. That's money. We, we wealth definitely involves money. Obviously L is for lifestyle, right? If you're a slave to your job, are you really wealthy? No matter how much money you make? No, like you've got to live the lifestyle you want. You know, if you want a vacation X amount of times a year, if you want to, you know, go in the office from these hours, that's what lifestyle is all about. Um, T is for team. So, you know, that'd be your relationships. You know, how, how strong is your marriage? How strong, you know, or how good of a parent are you? Right. Like that's wealth. If you're, if you're making money and you're a crappy parent, I wouldn't say you're wealthy. I'd be like, you make money, but I, I wouldn't, you know, be happy in your place. Right. And then the last one, H for health you know, if anybody who's experienced losing their health will tell you, they're like, I would trade anything for good health right now. Right. So, you know, in the end, if you're lacking in any one of those elements, you're going to be unhappy. You just will be right. And I see it on social media all the time, right. Where there are a lot of people who, man, maybe they're super strong. in a couple of them, they're like, dude, freaking I'm like stacked, like flex Lewis and you know, my money's good. And then I'll be like, how are your relationships? Oh yeah. Like uh, I'm divorced. Okay. You know, how's what's up with the kids? Yeah. I don't see them that much. Cause I'm busy working. I'm like, all right, well, good luck, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's for me, that's been the message of, we're not competing in a game of who can make the most money or who can get the most views. We're competing in a game of, you know, really just yourself And how do you basically maintain this balance? Because there are people who will tell you like, oh, no, you can't have balance. There's no way. And it's like, well, either way, it's still like a score on the scorecard, whether you choose to (laughs) accept it or not. Mm -hmm. The scorecard is there, right? Whether you want to just like not play that game, that's fine. But you're going to feel the effects of it as a human. There's no other way around it.
1: But you mentioned um, family. Many times, you know, even off camera, you and I are very, well, that's our core, right? That is everything for us. You have a line in the sand when it comes to business and you have a line in the sand when it comes to family time. And that's one of the things I admire about you. You know, even when we've been speaking out of hours and stuff, you'd be like, hey, I'll I'll hit you up uh, later on. You know, and you obviously explain why, but it's family time. And I am that guy. um, And I, even every Saturday, I have family day. I do yeah. I don't think about anything else but that obviously, you know, if I'm traveling is a different thing. Uh, but how'd you find that balance being as successful you are, having all these multiple different companies, um, you know, multiple you know, I don't know how many employees you have, but I know it's in the figures. Yeah. How would you be able to balance business and family?
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned employees. That that's key number one. You know, if you're a solopreneur. Everything's relying on you, right? So it's hard to have balance when you're doing everything solo yourself. Solopreneur. And so for me, the only reason I'm able to do it is number one, employees. You know, we have over 100 employees across all the companies and they're great. They are doing the work. I mean, right now I'm here with you, but there's work being done. There's sales being made. There's things being fulfilled. So, you know, you got to have great employees and that starts with having a great leadership team. You know, we have great you know, I have great partners, I have great leaders, managers, you know, they are accountable, they're hungry, we have great culture. And so because of that, it allows me the freedom to do what I want. By design. Yeah, by design, lifestyle, right? And here's also the thing. For me, like, I was happy when I was flipping catches. Like, even though I, I knew I could accomplish more, I was like very grateful for how much money we're, I thought I was rich to be honest. I'm like, I'm making eight grand a month. This is crazy. And no matter how much money we've made, I've always been like, I'm rich. Right. And you know, even when I was playing minor league baseball, I was making $7,000 a year. Okay. Wow. That's it. That's it. That's all I made. And so in the off season, I had to go substitute teach. I mean, like truthfully, I mean, between substitute teaching and minor league baseball, I probably made like 15 grand. Oh, yeah. A year.
1: And you you're looking after yourself on your wife.
0: Yeah. And so people are like, I don't know. When people just talk about money and stuff, I never complained like, oh, I'm broke. Freaking my life sucks and whatever. And I was just like content. I'm like, yo, this is just part of the plan. Like, this is what we're doing now. And hopefully I get to the bigs and like, that's the goal. You know, it didn't work out that way. It actually worked out better for me because <laughs> I can do this the rest of my life. <laughs> right? Versus sports, you're, you have a cap. But um, I think it comes down to, even during that time, I was never like a workaholic where I was like, dude, I need to just like grind out every moment because I need to make more money. Mm. Money was never the goal, right? Money just was a byproduct of being innovative and working hard and looking at new opportunities. So, you know, when I think about this life that I have today, you know, in, in the Wealthy Way book, You know, I talk about I go, hey, you know, I I work at the office from nine to five Monday through Thursday. That's when I work. And on Fridays, I go golf. On weekends, I'm just hanging with the fam. Nobody goes to the office on the weekends. It's not even open. Um, you know, and then at night I'm just hanging out with my kids and everything. And then before I go to work, I'm doing all my me time. You know, I'm working out, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm just getting all my me time in. And so this is the lifestyle by design that I want to live. You know, those are my parameters at which I've set for myself. And here's the thing when you give yourself constraints, okay. And you set a game plan that, you know, you are one going to be very happy and fulfilled with two. It actually can lead to the success and goals that you want to hit. And three, you know, it's actually like a doable plan and like that will last long term. You're going to have success, right? Because there are people who will be like, yeah, I'll work 80 hour weeks. And it's like, all right, well, let's see how long you can do it before you burn out. Let's see how long you can do it before your health deteriorates. Let's see how long you can do it before you lose your marriage, right? They're not sustainable plans. So for me, I always played the long game of it, of like, I'm going to build something that's sustainable and that way I'll just outlast everyone. Like it's, it, there are people that, that shoot up all the time and then they're gone right? Cause they don't have a sustainable plan. They're, they're sprinting for a marathon. Life is a marathon. There, there's no sprint here. Like <laughs> life's long. So, you know, having that framework of like, I want to do something that I can sustain. Now, are you going to be able to do that right off the bat? No. You know, for people who are trying to build it, maybe you don't even have a family right now. Great. You don't have to worry about that. So you can work more. That's cool. But, you know, for me, there's lots of business opportunities I could do to make a lot of money. I can make way more money if I chose to work more, but it's just not important to me. And it never has been. And so, you know, the the interesting case study that we're going to watch the next 10 years is, can I live the wealthy way and still achieve the same goals as everyone else? Mm -hmm. And that'll be the interesting case study because, you know, people say, well, you can't be a billionaire if you don't like put in the work. And like, it's a very common thing. And I sit there looking at it, look at it. And I'm like, I mean, I don't believe that. I mean, like I I believe up to this point, I have not ever worked 80 hour weeks and I've gotten to this point. So why wouldn't I get to the next point? And so it brings you to the the idea of, well, what's this guy doing differently then? Why, Why can he do that when other people are saying it's not possible? Well, I'll tell you, when you put constraints on yourself, there's something called Parkinson's law. And basically what Parkinson's law says is if you give yourself a limit you will figure out how to get it done within those constraints. Mm. So like when you look at a kid in high school, freaking English teacher, you know, says, hey, the homework is due next Friday. You know, what do they do? Thursday night, Um. they get it done. But what if you said the homework is literally due tomorrow? What happens? If you're a good student, (laughs) you're going to get it done tonight so you can get it turned in. Parkinson's law works the same way. If we say, hey, our workday is like 15 hours. I'm going to get in at eight. I'm going to leave at 10 all right, well, you will take 15 hours to get done, whatever it is you want to get done. But if you say, look, I only got six hours, you will come to one of two conclusions. One, like you'll innovate and figure mm-hmm. out a way to get it done because there is a way to get it done. Absolutely. Or two, you'll say, there is a way to get it done, but financially or resource-wise, it's it's not possible yet, but I know what I'm working towards. Because basically what happens is, If I say, Hey, I want all my businesses to to reach these goals and everything else. The way I look at it is like, well, yeah, it's impossible to do it if I have to do all the work, but let me hire people who can do the work that needs to be done to hit our goals. And then now let me start to think about what are the optimal things I can do in my work day that bring us the highest ROI? Like what is the best bang for my buck? And like, literally that's the plan I followed for years. And it just continues to exponentially grow by just being very efficient with my time. And also too, I don't get burnt out because like, I'm just kind of like coasting.
1: you got systems in place. you got people in place and, and takes care of that. Yeah. Um, your team, and I've been, listen, for the viewers that are, I haven't seen this podcast, I went on the Ryan Panera show, which has now turned into-
0: Wealthy Way podcast. Wealthy Way podcast. Yep.
1: And I was blown away, my friend, blown away- just by how much real estate you've taken in this uh, office block, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> this this whole floor is mine. This direction is, for, again, walking into, into your offices and seeing what you've created and everything kind of have it has its own uh, section, yeah. right? It reminded me a lot of uh, Google. There was areas that you could just work flow free, stand up, sit down, go into a certain creative area, creative space, Um. And again, you have a lot of different, a uh, lot of walks of life in that room. When I I go in, I kind of scale around, look around, see what's going on. There's no kind of genre there. You got people of all ethnicities. How key is it to have that work workforce team? And what was the first hire you done?
0: I mean, the team is huge, right? I mean, as we scale, what I've realized is, yeah, we can obviously make the products and everything more efficient, but it's always going to come down to manpower. How many more people can you get? Because typically to scale a business, you just keep doing more of what you're doing. It's like, man, you know, if we wanted to go open more dragons layers, like what do we got to do? I mean, we just got to hire more people, right? It's just more of the same model. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, I've realized like one of our big things is we got to continue to get better at recruiting. Recruiting is like one of our big, um, you know, things to work on. But with my first hire, you know, this was back in like 2017, I hired a, um, project manager to start doing my flips and intuitively nobody told me this, but Mm. I just realized I was like, man, I'm spending so many hours checking on these projects. Like this is such a waste of time because I don't make any money doing this. I Mm -hmm. make money when I find deals. And so it just occurred to me, I'm like, why don't I just go get deals and let somebody else do this. And so I hired a project manager. It didn't cost me a lot of money. And then boom, I just gained all this time. And then guess what? Our deals doubled. And I'm like, wow, I pay this guy a couple thousand a month (laughs) to go just check a couple of properties. And now I'm going to make 50 K more this month because of all that time gained. And You know, then I started doing it with everything. I'm like, I'm not listing my properties anymore. I'm a realtor and I'm licensed. I could save the money. (laughs) This is a big mistake entrepreneurs make. They're like, oh, I could do it myself. I could fix it myself. I could do this, and it's like, well, yeah, you could. I could do a lot of things, but how much can I pay somebody to go do it for me? And if what I can pay them is less than what my time is worth doing other things, Mm. I should pay them one thousand percent of the time.
1: How fast did your team build up in that process?
0: You know, 2018 was the first year I was fully retired from baseball. Mm -hmm. And so that year I was like, all right, I'm going to take business serious. (laughs) Like at that point, I'd probably already flipped 50 houses while I was playing. Really? Yeah. So I'd flipped a lot of homes while playing baseball, which actually taught me delegation Mm -hmm. because guess what? I'm faced with a constraint like we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And the constraint was this, go play baseball and, you know, basically Mm -hmm. not flip houses while you play. Or figure out a way to do both. And so I said, well, I'm gonna keep flipping houses because that makes good money. And I still want to play baseball because I love the game. How do I do both? Well, I got to go hire somebody to check on the houses and you know, look at new deals and all this stuff. So I, like, I naturally understood how to have it all, essentially. I was like, I'm not going to quit baseball just because I'm flipping houses. Mm-hmm. I can do both. And so the same thing is true today with all these businesses I run. It's like, how do you do them all? because I want to, and I'm going to figure out how to actually make it happen. You start to get creative when you have constraints. When you have no constraints, you have no innovation. Because think about it. The most innovative things in the world come from certain constraints you might have, right? You might have capital constraints. So you're like, all right, we got to find a way to do this better. Because There's just no way we can do it with the budget that we need. Right. And so that's how you see these little companies beat these big companies. Cause guess what? The big company, yeah, they got millions of dollars, but they're inefficient because they just blow the money. They don't have a constraint. Mm -hmm. Another innovation comes from time constraint. You're like, oh man, dude, we only have a week to get this done. Well, guess what? It usually takes a month. So we better get really innovative figuring out how to get this done in a week. And so constraints are a really good thing.
1: Is there any uh tools and tricks that you've done to to put that added pressure on yourself? Like, for example, for me, procrastination is a tool that uh, sorry, something it's something a that's tool. A tool. No. <laughs> procrastination is something has always been something that I've you know succumbed to. So now I've used certain tools. Um uh like for example, easy one. I put all my clocks in the house 10 minutes faster. Yeah, okay. you could say, well, flex, I know the real time. But for me, I look at the time and I'm out the door. So there's certain things like that, which ultimately, as small as that is, is the biggest, I mean, especially when you've got, you know, in our world, right? People uh, prompt, they have time, you know, they don't have the time to to give. The extra five minutes is a business deal won or lost. So yep, yep. Um, what, are the, what are the tips and tricks you have that keep you under that pressure of that, what you call constraint?
0: Well, I think um, when you're talking about constraints, you set them from the beginning, right? So- For me, it's like, all right, this is my constraint per week, right? And so I already told you guys my schedule. So it's very easy now. Now that I know this is the schedule I want, these are the constraints I'm willing to work under. Cool. How do I make it the most efficient I can, right? That's number one. Number two, okay, let's talk financial constraints. Like there's a budget for everything. Like even though you've made a lot of money, you can just give it all away tomorrow. So all right, this is the budget for this marketing. This is the budget for this overhead. You know, how do we make all this work, right? We got to get innovative, Um, and so like you, you just got to kind of got to plan it out now for somebody who's a procrastinator. Um, I think Parkinson's law, like I was talking about is the key, right? If you can truly convince yourself there is a deadline, not the real deadline, but like your deadline, Mm -hmm. um, you'll get it done. Right. Because you're like, I can't procrastinate. So what might need to happen is you need to figure out how can, I just get more on my schedule. So I have no choice but to do this. Right. So for me, like literally my schedule is always jam packed. Um, for the four days I'm in the office, because guess what? I'm like, I got big goals, right? I'm not trying to just chill. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to like do business deals, make, make connections, freaking make great content, you know, all these things. And so I got to figure out how does this all fit? So into you have my four day.
1: days. That's your work week. Four days. Yeah carry on. Cause I want to f- circle back to that. That's like fast fun. I mean, listen, anybody watching that, that's like a bodybuilder's dream. Let's be honest. Four day work week. Yeah. What is that? I can train the rest of the time. No. <laughs> well, yeah.
0: So we, we could talk about that, yeah. but yeah, I think look, if you don't have constraints, that means you have nothing going on, mm. right. As far as time goes. Right. Cause probably if you have a lot of time, you probably don't have a lot of money, right? That's what, cause People who have money and stuff, they're usually busy like doing things to make more money. Like they understand the skill Mm. of making money because even like, uh, even if you take like a billionaire or something, they're busy. Like they're, Mm -hmm. they're just busy doing other things. They're busy on vacation or like doing whatever billionaires do. I'm not a billionaire, so I don't know. But, um, right. You know that like millionaires and business owners are busy. You just are like, yeah, these guys are ultra busy. I am busy, even though it doesn't sound like I'm busy because you're like, well, you only work four days a week. So like, you're technically not that busy. And it's like, no, it it's all busy. It's just doing different things. Yeah. It's like, dude, I'm busy playing golf. You don't have to play golf. Well, I want to. Some
1: of the best deals are done in the golf course.
0: hundred percent. You know, I actually was just golfing with two guys last Friday. And like, that could be a huge partnership. We'll see. So you know, I spend a lot of time doing things that I just personally enjoy and it makes me busy, even though it doesn't make me money. Mm. But there's not times where it's like, dude, I don't know what I'm about to do for the next two hours. Like I have nothing to do. And that's where people get inefficient. Yeah.
1: And that's where procrastination takes over. And there's so many things get lost in that shuffle. But listen, for your success, um, most of anybody who's driven a successful and is Levels above anybody else. There's trauma associated with it. What is that trauma for you?
0: You know, I've had a lot of trauma. Um, I would say the first real trauma, and I I might say the only time in my life I've ever been depressed, was in spring training of 2013. So, you know, I was going into my fourth year with the Oakland A's. I was 23 or 24 years old. And they call me in the office and when you get called in the office, you kind of know what's about to go down. And you know, they call me in the office and I don't even remember what they said because it was just like a blur, mm. but the essence of it was, Hey, what I heard was, Hey, you're not good enough. We're going to have to let you go. That was the essence of it. And so you got to remember, man, when you're 23, 24, and you've trained your whole life And everything is going according to plan. You know, you're, you're an all American, you get drafted, you're moving up each year. You're like, dude, this is going exactly the way I thought it would go. This is great. And then it's gone. And your identity's wrapped up in that. Um, And I also had no skills. Like I literally had no skills. I failed as a realtor. I hadn't even flipped couches yet. Like I was, I was also engaged about to get married. So I had all these things going on and I was like really lost for the first time. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so that was the first time I I really felt depressed. And obviously, obviously I got through it. Um, I kept playing, you know, I got signed by a different team and, um, continued my career for another five years, actually. But, um, that was tough. You know, another time of, of trauma was, would just like going through my first string of losses, flipping houses, you know, I think I flipped probably 80 homes before I ever had a loss. And, you know, I had my first loss and I was like, whatever, you know, pretty good. One out of 80. And then, uh, in 2018, the market turned a little bit and I had 70 flips going on at once. And so I had a lot of losses and that was my first time, like between all those losses, I I probably lost over a million bucks. And at that time I did not have the money. Because you don't plan to lose a million dollars, right? Like you're, you're running your business into spend, you're going to make money on these deals, right? Or, or break even maybe, but not like literally pay money to sell the homes, right? So that was a super difficult time in my entrepreneurial career, figuring out, man, how the heck am I going to cover this? But guess what? A new constraint entered my life of like, yo, <laughs> this is the situation. You're going to run out of money. You got to do something different. And then I innovated and figured out, Oh man, we need to wholesale more. We need to, you know, have other streams of income. We need to, you know, do X, Y, Z. Right. And, you know, I got through it and, you know, even throughout my business career, you know, I've had to shut businesses down. I've had bad partnerships. Um, you know, I've lost money on deals. Like I I've been, uh, whatever on social media, people talk crap and just deal with all, you know, everything that comes with it. So, There's been lots and lots of traumas, but what I can tell you is the biggest growth you ever have in your life is from the trauma. It's never from the success. Like the success is kind of like, you're just rolling and you're like, this is great. And then it stops and -hmm. you're like, what happened? How do I rediscover that form I used to have? Like what happened? This happens with my golf game all the time. I'm like, where did my swing go? Dude, I was just cranking it. And then all of a sudden I can't hit it straight. Is
1: that just an excuse to get you out there more?
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I need more reps. I need that 10,000 hours, they say. So yeah, you know, trauma leads to growth, man. So you just got to learn to embrace it.
1: Trauma does lead to growth. Obviously, you know, I've taken a lot of losses and talk about them with, you know, as a badge of honor, it truly taught me, you know, a lesson. Um, And, uh, you know, I put my, my situation into my faith and you, speak very highly as you have done since I've met you about your faith and, uh, and how now you're walking. Uh, again, I think you now speak more about your faith than I've ever seen you speak about your faith. What yeah. was what being, what is it about your faith and business that has taken you to, to these new levels?
0: Yeah. You know, I've, I grew up in the church, so, you know, it's not like, um, I'm new to Christianity or Jesus. Like I've been this way for a long time. Um, but yeah, I think when I turned 33 is funny because my wife, Mindy goes to me and she goes, Hey, it's your Jesus year. And I was like, what does that even mean? She's like, you know, they say 33 is your Jesus year. Mm. And I go, that's when Jesus died. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you Great. trying to say? And, um, she's like, I think this year is going to be really big for you spiritually. And she was right. was 23, 33, 33. I'm sorry. Yeah. 33. And I'm 34 now. Mm. So I just completed, you know, that 33 year and it was easily, she was right. It was easily the most, it was the biggest year of spiritual growth in my life. Mm. And, um, you know, people knew I was a Christian. I mean, I, you, you go look back at content from 2020, 2021, Mm. like I, I've been talking about it, but now it's like very prevalent and what I, what, what God revealed to me through all of it was, he's like, dude, like, I want you to lead the entrepreneurs and and these business people and everyone, because guess what? No one else is. And I started to really think about this because if you just look on social media, you know, who are the entrepreneurs and, and big influencers and people that, you know, are like super public about faith, like, you know, making it happen. Like
1: one guy comes to my mind. Who? Mark Wahlberg.
0: Mark Wahlberg. Great guy. I'm actually, he's supposed to be coming on the podcast. Oh, fantastic. Um, But you know, he's an actor. So I'm thinking like, who are these YouTubers Mm -hmm. that we all know? Like Mm -hmm. who, who's really the guy? Right. And it just occurred to me. I was like, if not me, then who? And so once that kind of clicked, I realized this is so much bigger than whatever it is I was doing before. And like, people need to know this. And so, you know, we started, um, a Christian group called Wealthy Kingdom. So like I said, all my brands are wealthy branded. And basically the premise was I've been holding Bible study in my office for five years. So like I said, this is nothing new, but I would post about it every Wednesday when we hold it. And people would be like, can I join the Bible study? Whatever. Can I zoom in from North New Jersey or any of these things? I'm like, I wish, but no, because like we talk about private things, they're, they're not going to be on Zoom. And it just occurred to me that like this is such a big need in the space, and there's no one doing it. And you know, the Bible talks about that it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than it is for anyone else. So it's not like the poor, the widows, the crippled, like they have much easier times accepting God because. Once again, constraint. They have no choice. Like, Mm -hmm. he's their only hope, and he should be. But rich people think that they've got it all figured out. They have success. They're like, why do I need God? Mm -hmm. So it's harder for the rich person to get to salvation than anyone else. And so I go, who's going to reach these people? Right? First off, it's got to be someone they respect, at at least on their craft and level. And it's got to be somebody who's bold enough and willing to talk about it. So, anyways, I, I became convicted and I started writing a daily devotional every morning and, um, you know, people have loved it. And we started wealthy kingdom, which is, um, pending nonprofit status. And, you know, the goal with wealthy kingdom is to just plant Bible studies nationwide for entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And we started in May, we already have planted, um, 40 of them. So we're in 40 locations across the country. We have 60 right now that are in the queue that we're training. So we're training up these leaders to go out and lead Bible studies in their offices, at coffee shops, whatever. So we'll have over 100 Bible studies nationwide. And I think that, you know, in the coming years, I mean, we'll have, who knows, who knows how many, plus we've already done mission trips and events and all this cool stuff. And like, even at my event, WealthCon, you know, we have um, a full-on church service at the event, which is- not normal for like these business events. Like, in fact, I haven't, we haven't done this, but we're doing it at the next one. People don't know yet. I'm literally going to hold a full on worship service, like concert. So it's going to be sweet. And, um, you know, once again, people, people can say, well, why, I'm coming to a business event. Why, why mm-hmm. am I hearing about this? Well, you need to one, but also if, if it offends you, I don't really care. Like you don't have to come back or you can just skip it. Right. But You know, long story short, I just think that with wealthy kingdom, um, you know, in the coming years, God willing, if we just do the right things, I mean, we will be the biggest like Christian business organization in the world. Like that's just where it's headed. And to me, when I hear that, I'm like, oh bro, that's where it's at. You know, I don't give a crap about how many more houses I flip or how many rentals I get, or, you know, you you just start to realize like, there's so many things that are more important
1: How, how much have you seen your life change since, you know, you turned 33, you obviously started pouring in more into your faith, talking more about your faith. Yeah. When you say things have changed, just, just give an example.
0: I would say my perspective on life is very different. Um, You know, I would say that I don't desire the things I used to desire. And I, I think a lot of that too can come from once you achieve like success, it's like, man, I I've played pro baseball. I did the influencer thing. You know, I've built businesses like I've achieved basically every worldly goal I could want. And so then you realize you're like, yeah, I'm going to set a new goal, but like, it doesn't do anything. Like it's just a goal. Mm. And so you start to see the world differently and you start to see like for me anyways, as I get exposed to more successful people, I realize they're not saved and I see all the problems in their life. Like it, it just is everything I talked about before mm-hmm. jacked up marriages, they feel void and it, you could just see it even like with these influencers and their content. It's like, they're given all this great content. And then you can just see like, they're just kind of still, there's something missing. Yeah. And it, it, it's faith. That's what it comes down to. So to me, it's like, man, God put me on this earth and he gave me these abilities and resources and connections and the experiences I've had in order to reach these people. And I didn't know that five years ago because I I just wasn't in this position. I didn't have influence. Yeah. I had some business success, but you know, these guys ain't going to listen to me. Right. But now I'm in rooms with billionaires and all these people and they respect me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just think like, my perspective is completely different on, on, on why I'm here. It's much clearer. Um, I think that my perspective has also changed on how much more I could be doing because I think as we start to grow, our capacity increases, mm. you know, we're like, man, dude, I can do this. You know, I can work harder. I can be more bold. I can reach more people. And so your, your confidence grows, your faith grows. And you're like, man, I'm capable of a lot of stuff if I just really believe it and I, and I'm obedient to what he's calling me to do.
1: Yeah. I Dan, listen. I've felt the call in more with my faith more than ever this year, to be honest with you. I think I, I'm also aligned more with different circles of people, you know, being in the world that I was in just focused on me and a physique. You kind of take the the blinders off and you realize, my gosh, life is to be lived. It's not lived around seven meals a day, you know? And
0: and let me, I'll add something to that too. I always thought when I was young, I was like, all right, you know, sports will be my mission field. I'm going to be like Tim Tebow, right? Which by the way, he's done an amazing job. Incredible. Um, but when I look back on my sports career and I look back on all the things I was struggling with back then, it was all related to around, it wasn't about God. It was about me, right? You're like, how am I going to get better? How am I going to move up? Let's improve my physique. Let's make sure I get all my meals. Right. And then guess what? When things don't go your way, you go into destructive habits. Oh crap, bad game. Let me go watch some porn. Oh, mm. let me go drink. Let me go. Everybody's doing drugs in part. Like it's just this very destructive lifestyle. And even, you know, for me, it's like, not that I was like this super crazy party guy, like some other people, but like I was way more destructive than, than I am today. And I look back on it and I now realize I'm like, yeah, God obviously put me through that for a reason to develop me into who I am, but I was never meant to just like be a baseball player. Mm. I can see that now. And I can see like, man, my life got infinitely better the moment he took it away. Like (laughs) my habits got way better. Uh, there's less temptation. Uh, The identity crisis of being only known as a baseball player was done. So yeah, a lot of the things that we think are, you know, our path are actually, not. And they're actually causing us a lot of trouble.
1: Yeah. I, I, I test that. Um, how hard is it then being in business and doing other magnitude you are doing and then potentially having a
0: partnership that doesn't line with your morals and your integrities. So there's a Bible verse. I think it's, um, Matthew 10, 16. And Jesus is about to send out the disciples. And he says, guys, Here's the thing. You need to be as cunning as snakes, but as I forget the word he uses, but as gentle as doves. That's one of the paraphrased translations. And basically what he means by that is, you know, you shouldn't go around like being a snake to people. You need to be as smart as snakes. You need to understand how the world actually thinks. You can't just be gullible and naive and take everyone at their word and everything else. Like you have to be very skeptical of those around you because there's a lot of harm around you. Right. But at the same time, having that awareness, you also need to be as gentle as a dove. You need to be compassionate. You need to be loving. You need to be, you know, transparent. You got to have integrity. You got to, you know, showcase these things that most people wouldn't do because it'd be perceived as weak, especially in business. And so you know, even for me, like I said, in business, not everything has gone great. You know, we've had many failures. I've had many people upset with me. And even during that time, like I've always still had to face the music and be like, you know, like I, (laughs) I take ownership. Like it is what, I don't know what else to tell you. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll make it better however we can, but this is what happened. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, well, yeah, I don't know. Like it just, Mm. right. That's what most people deny it. Like, Oh, well, it wasn't my fault. This guy did that. And that guy did that. Right. Like, that's like, yeah, this, I take, a, I take a response. I decided to partner with that guy. I decided to whatever. Right. So that's something to think about, but yeah, in terms of partnerships, man, um, at this point I've had a lot of partnerships and some started before, you know, I ever got to this level. Some have been recent. Right. And the the one thing I've been just realizing and praying about was like, man, if you just reverse engineer what it is you're looking for in life, all right, you can work back from there and see if that person it aligns with that and it's going to help you get there, right? So if at this point, I'm very clear that like, look, my goal is to grow a wealthy kingdom and reach more entrepreneurs and Christians and and do everything for that space because no one else really is, okay? How does this new partnership align with that? Mm-hmm is this person going to get mad that that's my focus? And, you know, they, they think it might affect this business or whatever, you know, is this person on mission with that? Like, is he, is or he or she like, are they like really, um, also inspired by that? And they're like, dude, let's grow this business so that this thing can get really big. Right. Mm-hmm. Like how, do how do they fit into my overall mission? <sighs> and that's the thing that, you know, I have to think about now, especially if it's, um, under my brand and my face and my name, you know? So, you know, if, if it's anything to do with me where I'm the face and I'm public with it, you better be aligned with my mission and what we're going to do. Now, does that mean I won't take investors or, you know, other people like, no, like if they don't have control or say, it's just like, yo, you're giving us an investment, whatever, right. Mm -hmm. You've got your own deal. You know what I'm about and you're giving me your money. So like, (laughs) you know, you, you know, it's on you, right. Um, and, you know, we still partner with companies where I'm not the face. People don't even know I own it. Right. I, I'm only telling you guys about companies that are public that I own that, you know. But, you know, we're also partners in the back end of other companies which are not public. And with those, you know, we we strategize. We help them build their mission. Right. And, you know, we we try to amplify them. And, you know, as long as we agree with their mission, right. I don't want to like go help strip clubs grow, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, like the strip clubs, grow, No, like so, faith the strip clubs. Yeah. You know, like, but truthfully too, you know, I've had uh, opportunities yeah. in like gambling or marijuana or things mm-hmm. like that. And I'm like, man, there's a lot of money here, but it doesn't align with my mission. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, we don't do them, but then it's like, all right, these other companies, I'm like, this is great. Or it's just neutral. It's like, we're a plumbing company. I'm like, great. Let's grow it.
1: Mm. How many uh, businesses do you have in different genres? You mentioned, I know that you've got several in different things. So outside of what you already mentioned,
0: anything Um, interesting? I mean, dude, I've, I've had businesses in basically every industry you can imagine. I mean, you know, you got real estate, you know, tax, um, you know, like we have this clothing brand that we've partnered with. We have, um, you know, education. We have, what else we got? I mean, I'm I'm working on multiple deals like franchises and and food. I'm just a very curious person, man. Yeah, You're not in one genre, which I
1: love about you. Every time we speak, there's always something unique and cool you're up to.
0: This is my opinion. Okay. A lot of people will tell you, dude, you got to focus on one thing. Stay in your lane. A lot Um, of people. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's actually good advice up to a point. So if you're just getting started and you know, you're broke and we're trying to go zero to, you know, six figures, then yeah, you should stick with one thing trying to go figure out, Oh, I want to do this and dabble. Like Mm -hmm. too many people do that. They're like, Oh, I flip sneakers, but I'm also a realtor. And I'm like, no, do one thing and dominate that first. Right. Mm -hmm. From there, once you have success and acumen and everything you've achieved, let's just say you're a millionaire, right? I actually do think it's smart to start exploring. Um, Obviously you want to double down on what you're good at, which for me was flipping houses and real estate. So like that was always running. It's not like I stopped doing that. Like that was always going. But me personally, I wanted to start exploring other things, you know, media, right? Yeah. Um. People, when I first started doing social media, a lot of my colleagues and friends and people in masterminds, they're like, why are you making TikToks? Like, this is stupid. And I'm like, guys, you don't get it. I think this is going to be big. Like, why don't you just spend all that time? literally, this was a question. Yeah. How much does TikTok make you, Ryan? I go zero. And he's like, how much does going on seller appointments and running your business and getting another deal makes you, I go a lot of money, right? Like, you you know, we're talking, if I do this every day, millions of dollars. He goes, so why would you make TikToks? And I go, because I think that yes, today it doesn't make me money, but I think in the next five years, it'll make me way more money than this. He just didn't get the long-term vision of it. Right but that's how somebody thinks like very one dimensionally mm-hmm. of like, why would you do this? It makes no money when well, you could be doing this. You're already really good at this. Why try to like learn a new skill. And you know, over the years um, what I have realized is the more new skills I learn, the more dangerous I become in all businesses. Because when you think about it, like how many people can draw from so many different things and figure out a solution to the problem or the best way to run it. Right. If you talk about like all the things I've been through in my life, you know, they, they say to become a master at something, you got to spend 10,000 hours, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. If I were to just tell you everything I've spent the 10,000, and I don't think you really need 10,000, right? Because some people learn quicker than others, Mm -hmm. but let's just say things you're a master of, right? I would say, okay, I definitely did that in baseball, became a pro, definitely did it in real estate. I did it in media, you know, I've done it in business and just starting and being an entrepreneur. Um, I'm working on it in golf. That's my next goal. Um, you know, we we've I've met all these different people and like absorbed knowledge from them. And you start just like realizing like who is going to have the better answer to a solution? Somebody who spent, you know, a hundred thousand hours doing one thing, or somebody who spent, you know, a lot of hours doing. Multiple things, right? Who's not just a one trick pony? Because if you've only just, whatever, only done real estate, whenever I talk to guys who are strictly real estate, they're very successful. Uh But like, I listen to what they like and they're very limited knowledge in real estate. And I'm like, dude, over here, this is how we would do that. This is how we would do that. You don't understand what I went through over here. And so when I come to a new company or somebody wants to partner, I can draw from all these different experiences and I can say, no, that's not going to work because Mm -hmm. over here I did that and I know it's not going to work. It's, it's doomed to fail. So I don't know. I think, I think having a lot of experience is good.
1: And also having, I think a, a roller index of good people around you too, that even if like, again, you and I have a roller index of phenomenal people that we can pick up the call and and speak about wide range of, of different things, things that you and I, yes, might've had a toy in, but a genre that we might be newly exploring. We have that person in our phone, right? So, but that's been earned through years and years of us perfecting our craft to then provide them with our knowledge. And it's a, again, it's a two way street. Both yeah. of us have the same people in the phone, um, plus more. But one thing that has separated you from the pack and something that you mentioned earlier, um, is brand recognition, right? And you certainly looking at you right now with a red hair. <laughs> are certainly, you know, undeniably recognizable wherever you go. You know, I've, I've been friends with, you know, and I think it's been three hair changes since you and I have been friends, <laughs> blue, yeah. red, and green. I want to say. Yeah, yeah. But how has that served you? The hair or just overall? The hair, the oh, brand, the hair, the hair and, and what you created. And why did you decide to color your hair?
0: You know, so I've been doing my hair like this poofy way for like I don't know the last six years, mm-hmm. so way before social media, and people would always comment on my hair, they're like, dude, you got like really good hair. You do have good hair, by the way. Thank you. And <laughs> you know my my friends who are balding get mad because like they're losing their hairline, and I shave my hairline to like you know <laughs> line up. They're like, bro, you're getting rid of your hair. I just want hair. Yeah. So, anyways, it was always a running joke. But you know when I got on social media during COVID, um, I just did social media, right? Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't like. I didn't even think about my hair being a thing. But like when I would look in the comments, that was like the number one thing. People are like, what the heck is up with this dude's hair? Like Mm -hmm. there were people who were like, dude, best hair. Then there were people like, Scott looks like an idiot. (laughs) And there were so many hair comments and people don't really do it that much anymore because now that I'm known, but it was a very big thing early on. I was like, dude, why are people so obsessed with my hair? This is weird. So anyways, after a year, I just had this idea. I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to dye my hair, but I've been too chicken to do it. I was like, I'm just going to freaking dye it blue. And so I dyed it blue one so day. So random by the way. Yeah. And you know, yeah, I didn't dye it blonde or I was just like, let's just go straight to a crazy <laughs> color and you know, in, in comments and stuff, people were going nuts and everything. And then I just started dyeing it different colors mm-hmm. for fun. Um, and after doing it the first time, it turns out, I was like, dude, I actually like think I look pretty cool. Like I like that. And people are like, why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? And originally I said, well, people were already talking about it anyway. If somebody's mm. talking about something, you might as well like amplify it and throw fuel on the fire. So I was like, let me throw fuel on the fire and just see how it goes. And yeah, it, people definitely started talking about it a lot and you know, whatever it grew out. And then I just went to natural for six months. And then last year I was like, you know what? I think I'm ready to diet again. And this point, you know, it was just for fun. It wasn't even like, I already knew reaction. And then after I dyed it again, it became like, Oh, this is just what he does, you know? And so then, you know, I grew out when natural. And then now I've recently dyed it again and nobody really says anything. They're just like, yeah, that's just what you do. You dye your hair. Um, I
1: was going to say, but way back when you started doing this pretty often, often like
0: the color changes, you see any analytical changes, (laughs) you know, I, I tell people, um, subjectively. Yes. I see an analytical <laughs> change. Like just looking, I'm like, yeah, it gets more views. But if you've asked, if you ask me for receipts and like a yeah, data yeah, yeah. analysis, I couldn't tell you. I just, I do it for fun.
1: Well, let's talk about how you and I met and then we'll, you know, no pun intended land the plane on the podcast. Cause okay. we, you, you and I can talk for another hour at best, but, um, You and I met, we went on a business trip to uh, San Francisco, right? Yeah. We caught the jet out. There was, uh, was this a a Solana NFT? Yep. yep. Something like that. I mean, Solana.
0: It was like they're going on, I think they were getting on the New York Stock Exchange for, um, I forget what they call it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It wasn't a... ETF, the they were got, starting Solana it, ETF. Yeah, and it got denied, or something. I don't know, right? Who oh, did it? I don't know. <laughs> well, obviously it's not on the, I don't see any uh, crypto ETF, but nonetheless, we, um, we all, that's the first time you and I met. Yep, yep. Obviously I'd seen you through TikTok, you know, mm-hmm. the hair and everything else. So we truly met for the first time with, okay, who are you yep. and what do you do? And we had some really good conversation. We flew yeah. from Vegas to San Francisco. We actually stopped off and picked up. Uh, yeah, we stopped
0: in LA, I think. We picked up the DJ.
1: Matt. Yeah, Matt. Yep. Great guy. Yeah, great guy. Um, Dancing King that night. This guy's, was, a profe- <laughs> this guy's a professional dancer. Yeah, he uh, is. What's Matt's last name? Stefanina. That's it, yeah. yeah. Um, DJ, professional dancer. And uh, me and Ryan were in this, like, it was like a business element club and this guy was just going bananas and me and me and Ryan were like two stepping, not even good at that. But yeah. nonetheless, we caught a uh, jacked out and we truly just, that club night was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the flight for me was again, a hangout obviously, but trying to talk in that club was no, 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 right? No, but, the
0: flight was great. And um yeah, just hanging out was great. <laughs> I will say, speaking of the hair, you know, you know, you can cut this out if you want, but funny story. So I was in, um, we were in that club, right. And since San Fran, mm-hmm. um, obviously a lot of gay people in San Fran and really, uh, <laughs> and there was a lot at that club, right? There was,
1: that's why yeah. I was close with you. Just somebody. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so I I went to the bathroom and like at the time I had my green hair and like whatever, like super flamboyant yeah. and I'm like washing my hands. And I remember looking up and there's just like all these dudes just like standing there. And I'm like, what is everyone standing here for? Like, nope, they're not going to the bathroom. They're not washing their hands. They're just like standing there. And like I looked at myself in the mirror. And it just occurred, I was like, these guys are like looking at me like I'm a snack. Like they <laughs> they think this is the appetizer, you know? because uh, they were just staring at me and yeah. like I'm like. I've heard these rumors of like what goes down in these bathrooms of, you know, like places like this. And I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of here, man. I'm gonna get flex. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna get throw flex. him into the I'm down. gonna get flex unless Flex is somewhere doing something that I don't know about. I was hugging the wall. I was hugging the wall.
1: <laughs> Until my my boyfriend came back. No, but it was <laughs> the green hair was definitely giving off some uh wrong yeah, signals. No, it, it
0: was giving off some like, hey, I'm available vibes yeah. for sure. Green means go <laughs> But that that's what they thought.
1: <laughs> yeah, thankfully you escaped. I don't know. I didn't hear about this story until now. By the way, as you know. Yeah. Um. But that was that was the first time you and I met, and we kept in connection since then. You've had me on your past podcast, and um, you know, I, I truly appreciate this organic friendship.
0: Yeah, I tried to have you at WealthCon too. Yeah, twice. Yeah, you know, I I tried to have you last WealthCon. And then you text me before this and you're like, yeah, maybe one day I'll be good enough to speak on your stage. I'm like, what are you talking about? I already (laughs) asked you. And then I said, you know what? Come, come to the next one. And by the way, uh, October 3rd to the 6th wealthcon.org. come to the, you know, flex may or may not be there. The, the invitation is open. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, he's like, let me look at my schedule. I don't want you to think. And then I saw him like text his assistant. And then all of a sudden his schedule is booked. And I was like, all right, I don't know if he's trying to shake me down for like a speaker fee or something. But I was like, bro, I thought you were just going to come show up, man. But well, you, you know? know, you never know
1: if that jet gets me back to where I'm supposed to be. then, you know, Panera, Panera Air, you yeah. know how it goes, <laughs> but no, that wealth has been attended by multiple um, friends of, of mine. Yeah. Who are savages. You bring so much value to that weekend, Matt. You truly yeah. do. And this this is going to be the second WealthCon in Las Vegas. And yep. you do these every quarter, right? Yep, yep. So when is the... The next one is, you said, October... 3rd to the 6th. And other speakers up yep. on the yep. website already?
0: Yeah, we got, like, Ed Milet. We've got... End right there. All right. Ed Milet. Matt. And then me, and maybe you, okay? You know, Dan Fleischman. We got... Some um. Wages. We get. I mean, there's two the people who's don't who don't even name. Yeah. Yeah. The who's who. Wealthcon.org. Just yeah. go look.
1: Just, just you three alone. You know, Dan Fleischman has been such a unicorn in my life with, with uh, connections and yep. people that he's met. I mean, obviously it synergistically is.
0: Yeah. I've had a lot was, of your so. guests actually on the stage, you know, mm. um, I was just watching, you know, we said Hormozzi earlier, he spoke at one of my events. Um, and, you know, I've been holding events every quarter for the last three years. Mm. You know, we just happened to rebrand it into Wealthcon. So, you know, every quarter we've been throwing them, and you know it's crazy just to talk about growth, right? Because a lot of people, um, they might throw one event a year, because mm-hmm. they have throwing events hard, man, right? Yes, man I've, I do two a year. Yeah, they're very difficult. And how big are they? Mine, few thousand people. A few thousand. Yeah. Okay, so you know how hard they are, and you know when I first started throwing events three plus years ago, it was like in my living room. There was 10 people. Then we outgrew it. And it was like in my office for 30, 40 people. Then we outgrew my office and we had to go get like this other conference area with a hundred people. Then we outgrew that. And for the first time we had to go rent like a place at a hotel. And so we had 250 people. Then we outgrew that and we had to get one for 500. And then, you know, I'll never forget, you know, our first, like I would say really big one, you know, was literally this time last year at the Mandalay Bay, we had Hormozy, like I was saying. And, you know, we had like over 700 people. I was like, this is crazy. We got 700 people. Like, and this is every quarter. Yeah. And then the next one in January was a thousand. Then it was over a thousand again. And then this last one was like 1200 and, you know, I think this one could even have like 1500. I don't know. I think that's max capacity for the room, right? You probably have to scale up. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think we could even no. yeah, buy,
1: buy your tickets because <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, it's not, no, they no sell promotion. out. They, they sell out. Genuinely. Yeah. Genuinely. Because you yeah. told me, I think a couple of weeks before um, the last wealth con, you say, bro, we already sold out.
0: Yeah. Well, we were over capacity. And because you, you go over capacity because you anticipate some people won't show up because <laughs> of. I don't know who does this, but like these people pay thousands of dollars for tickets and don't show up. I'm like, blows my mind as well. Yeah. Like, how do you not show up? But it happens. And so you have to like say, all right, you know, let's, let's anticipate 10% of the room or so is not going to show. And so you oversell. And uh, yeah, we oversold and uh, a lot of people showed up. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was packed. WealthCon's coming back to Vegas, January 8th to the 11th. Now, if you've been to our events, you know, how epic they are. We have the best time, not only with just great content, great speakers, but we have a lot of fun with the after parties and the masterminds and everything else. And number one, it's probably the best networking opportunity in the entire game. We have over a thousand investors and entrepreneurs at each one, and this will be no different. In fact, this is going to be my favorite WealthCon ever. We've got some amazing speakers coming, people like Tim Tebow, Thatch Nguyen, Gabrielle Lyon, the list goes on. It is going to be an epic event, and I want to see you there. So if you're interested in attending, get your tickets now because they will not last. Go to wealthcon.org and get them today. Everyone knows that my favorite way to build wealth is through real estate investing. That's the reason that I started Wealthy Investor, where we've trained thousands of students. But here's the thing. I've noticed that so many people fail to get started in real estate because they're worried about the money. They don't know where they're gonna get the money to buy a house, or flip, or handle their renovations, and things like that. And so, they just never get started. I wanna change that, and that's why I created a brand new free course that goes over five different ways that you could buy houses without using any of your own money today and I'm going to give you it completely for free. All you have to do is go to wealthyinvestor.com slash podcast. I've made it specifically for you. The moment you go to that link, you'll be able to go get access to it and learn how you could start buying houses today without any of your own money. And if you're somebody who already has a real estate business and who wants to scale, we want to help you too. You can click the link below and book a free strategy call with our team if that's you.
1: What, What kind of topics do you cover at WealthCon? Real estate?
0: Yeah. So there are three core topics that I'm very passionate about, and that's why we cover it at WealthCon real estate, entrepreneurship, and social media. Those are the three keys. So all of my speakers are revolved around those three things for the most part. I mean, really, what the speakers are revolved around is the wealthy way, right? What we've already been talking about. So, you know, I've got some real estate experts, I've got some social media experts, and some, you know, big time entrepreneurs. But then, like I said, I'll bring a pastor in. You know, and I have a pastor speak at every event. I'll bring a health expert in and have them speak about health. And, you know, it's all related back to investors and entrepreneurs because it's like, yo, you know, this is how you need to manage your family. Like you're not getting this kind of training anywhere else. You know, this is how you need to manage your health if you're going to be at optimal performance for your business and, and as a leader. And yeah, I can give you all the tactical things on marketing or sales or investing, but like these other things, make those things way better.
1: Well, I think in in the last conversation that we're going to have is what truly is next for Impaneta.
0: I mean, at this point, I don't really make plans. You know, I don't like have goals of like, oh, in the next 5 years, this is where I want to be or this is the next thing I want to do. Like I would say I'm an opportunist and so I'm just like always open you know, we were talking, I was, I was giving you crap about your schedule. I'm like, bro, how are you already booked out? Like, what are you doing? And you're like, yeah, I'm just people book stuff like months and months in advance. I'm like, I don't book out more than like two months max. And the reason is one, I don't like being tied down. That's the whole reason I became an entrepreneur. I like to have freedom, but two, I'm opportunistic. I always want to have my options open for when the opportunity presents itself. So you know, I'll speak at a lot of other people's events, but like, you know, somebody calls me, I'm like, yo, all right, that's a good opportunity. Let's do it. Right. My, my schedule's open for podcasts because people are always coming out in and out of Vegas. And for instance, I wasn't going to come to work on Friday, but two people are coming to Vegas and I was like, all right, you know what? I'll come in and get those two in. Cause I've already missed the rest of the week, <laughs> you know, on my on maternity leave today. I'm just hanging out. So, um, I like to be an opportunist. And Mm -hmm. so like what business opportunities I'm interested in? Well, anything and everything, Yeah, you know, like, honestly, I think what I will become, not I, but the company is, I think we, we basically become a a mini private equity fund. I mean, that's what I think we become. Um, you know, we already been doing it with real estate. Like we raise capital, we buy properties, like that's happened for 10 years now, but the business side of things, more and more people want to partner up. And like, as we've built out all these systems and funnels and, you know, it's like every business requires the same things, right? People come to me all the time. They're like, dude, we need content media. That's the best way to market today. I'm like, we already got all that, you know, that's already in-house and built. Oh man, we, how do we get good salespeople and all this? Well, we already recruit in-house. Like we got salespeople always coming through the door and applications coming in, right? Hey, we need, um, you know, strategy on how to create the right offer, It's like, dude, I've created so many offers and products. Like, let me look at the business and figure out what is the best product and offer, right? Hey, we need a relationship with so-and-so. Well, I have a huge Rolodex. So let me connect you with them because that's like the key that's going to help this business scale, right? And so I think with everything unintentionally happening um, as we've grown, it just sets us up for that. And that's kind of what's happened. You know, like now we are... Part, like I said, we take equity in businesses kind of like what Hormozy's doing. Um, you know, and I think that becomes a bigger and bigger thing.
1: Yeah. I I've seen a lot of different things that have changed obviously in my life now that I've started getting more into the the business element I, and more, the more you kind of double down on, on certain genres, the more opportunities start opening up. Um, and with you, they're not in one category for me. I, I love kind of putting you know, my, my toe in a few different waters. Um, it excites me. I'm doing things right now that I can't speak about, but I'll tell you off camera that, um, I never thought I would be into, you know, or investing into, but I think that's entrepreneurship at its, at its finest. The I've assembled the team or the team has, is already assembled. And I'm just bringing that element, um, aside from the financial investment
0: too. Yeah. I think the big key with business entrepreneurship and, and just doing deals, is that you need to understand two things. One is, what kind of value can you provide other people? And two is, what kind of value do they need? If they intertwine, you can make a deal. Yeah. Right? And so, timing plays a big role in all of this and when that intertwinement happens. But, you know, for instance, you know, we were talking before this. I'm like, hey, I think I have a good opportunity that you and I could really do together that opportunity didn't exist even a month ago. Yeah. Right. But now it exists. And obviously, I've had you in my Rolodex. I know your skill set and the value you provide with what you've created. And I'm like, dude, you know, there's things that can happen to make this really big. And so, you know, for me, I'm just sharpening my skills all the time so that I become a valuable partner to somebody else. Because if I know I have systems and processes and resources and, these things that add value. And it might just be money. Like you said, Mm. some people, they don't want any of the other stuff I have. They just want money. It's like, great. I can raise money. Right. Um, some people want my face and they want me to, you know, be a face of it. All right. Well, let's see if it's worth my while. And I, Mm. you know, I'm willing to do that. Some people want our expertise. Some people want our media. And so we have all these resources that people want. And so then it becomes like, man, okay. Yes. They were built for me, right and we 're going to use them for our own purposes, but now we can start leasing it off to other people when it makes sense.
1: I know this is kind of a deep question, and I'll prolong the podcast, but how do you is the plane running out of fuel? <laughs> yeah soon <laughs> it, how do you define uh, or, how do you separate you as the brand and a paid venture that you could get involved with because somebody could say to you, "Hey, Ryan, I need you as the face." Uh, when you look at this deal, it's like, eh, you know, I'd rather throw throw money into it. Where's where the separation for you? I know it's kind of a deep question, but you got to remember, now, that our audience, uh, you know, athletes that may be able to invest in something or be a face or something. What, what's
0: the advice that you would give them? So I've had a lot of athletes on my podcast and, um, you know, I had Von Miller on recently and, you know, I've had you on, I've had, you know, other NFL and MLB guys, like all stars and hall of famers. And, I've talked to a lot of agents actually too. And the thing that agents are doing now, I mean, cause they're wising up is that it's like, look, we, we don't want endorsement deals anymore. Like we want equity. It's getting in the game. Yeah. And I've always said that from the beginning, I've told all my YouTube influencer friends who, you know, <laughs> your staff is worked for. And I literally like told them, I'm like, guys, is are idiots for just taking all these sponsors, like own the business, or if, if they won't give you equity, start your own start the competitor and, and take 100%. Why are you taking 10? Right. And so I think, um, for me, I've never really done sponsors anyway, so it's not a big deal. Okay. Um, I've always either taken equity or promoted my own companies because everything else wasn't worth it. Yeah. And as you know, it's very difficult to build a brand and audience. Um, to me, I think we, Will continue to become more valuable as time goes on. We are the rarer commodity versus the businesses. Businesses come and go all the time. It takes a long time to build an audience and a following. True. So, you know, to that end, if if a business comes to me and they're like, yo, I want to like if you look on my podcast, I don't have sponsors. I haven't had it for years. Mm-hmm. I just found that off off camera for the first time. I, I didn't yeah. even know that. I don't take sponsors. I'm like, bro, I'm promoting my own stuff. Um, Because think about it. If they're willing to go pay me this crazy amount of money to sponsor the podcast, they must be making 10 X that. So I was like, why not just promote my own stuff? You know? So there's that element to it. And also too, it's like when you're promoting other people's stuff, you don't have control over the fulfillment. So when I promote my own stuff, I know exactly what they're going to get, yeah and good or bad, right? Usually good, but when things don't go good, I have the ability to fix it. yeah, you
1: the fears get yeah. in front of it
0: yeah I mean if you look at what happened with all this FTX crap, right mm. that was the problem. Everyone promoted it, and they couldn't fix it. and so you know there's always risk when you're promoting somebody's else stuff that you don't actually own or have um, intimate knowledge of what's happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, very rarely would I promote a brand, but I will say this, if it's something I am passionate about and I'm a user of, yeah. that's a different story. So like this clothing brand scene, um, I've been wearing their stuff for a long time and the the guy came up to me, the the owner, Ray, he was like, yo, I want to actually do a collection with you. Hmm. And he's like, you will design the collection. It'll be the, the scene and Ryan Pineda collection. And we'll, we'll have this whole you know, strategy. And we're going to go spend hundreds of thousands on ads and like, put your face out there. And I was like, that sounds good to me. (laughs) You know, like I like your stuff anyway. Mm. Like you're, you're telling me you're going to get me more exposure and we're going to make money together. Okay. You know, I had another one happen with golf. Um, you know, I had two golf companies, I'm not going to say who, two big golf companies reach out and they're like, Ryan, we want to sponsor you. I am not a pro golfer. Right. (laughs) And so like, (laughs) but they're like, dude, we, we know you love golf and Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And so, you know, I'm in talks with that and it's like, for those, I'm like, whatever. Yeah. I I use the stuff anyway. I might as well get paid to use it. Well, That's Uh, where I'm at. Yeah. But it will never take away from the main thing that I am, of course, you know, promoting. So like if I do a deal with Titleist or TaylorMade or whatever, right don't ask me to like post all this stuff about him every week. It ain't worth it. Right. Mm-hmm. They're not on the podcast. Like yeah. we'll do some cool, fun stuff behind this. If I'm out golfing, you know, sure. I'll be, I'll, I'll show off my whatever bag and clubs, but the moment it starts taking away from the other stuff that actually is my thing that I own a hundred percent and that, or not even a hundred percent, but like I have partners in most of my companies, but like thing that makes me way more money than this, then, then it's a problem. Yeah. My rule is
1: that, um, I push my own stuff, and what I I don't or have no intention of getting into, I will, I will promote. So if, you know, Monster obviously yeah. incredible sponsor um, comes with a roller index of people that I, I know get to have uh, you know good relationships with. Yep. But I, there would be no connection outside of Monster. That right there, plus obviously what um, I get uh, being endorsed athlete. Again, a roller index that you can 't pay for, so yeah. I have no interest in getting into that world and energy to drink world yet um, until that moment happens, they're going to be a sponsor. but outside of that, you know, even from you're promoting your clothes, yours yeah, me, where and mine, everything I pro- promote subconsciously and consciously, but I'm also not a hard sales guy, and you 've never seen me saying, "Hey, buy this product even yeah. with all my sponsors, so I've gone into this uh, as an athlete, completely different how other athletes are they're they 've carved in their contracts. Hard posts for me, all my stuff is organic, yeah, um, and that's how I carved it out and you know I designed yeah. this by by choice, and that's
0: that's we're we're saying the same thing, yes is essentially like hey i'm gonna wear it and i'm gonna represent it, but like there's not hard posts that I'm just making, right, yeah, but with my companies, obviously, like I hard pitch my stuff all the time because two things one, I believe in it, I think it's the best, and two. Dude, doing all this stuff ain't free. I got bills, baby. Like, I got a lot of employees. <laughs> and new and, kids you're popping out. Yeah, I got three kids. I got 100 employees. Like, we got to sell. Yeah. And if you really believe in your product that much, you mm-hmm. should be talking about it and selling it. And it's like, dude, this podcast ain't free to film. So, you know, something's got to pay the bills.
1: Absolutely. Well, potentially,
0: we so might be something in the pipeline for you in, in the future. And I'm, I'm always. If we partner, you you will learn. To be a hard sales guy. You'd be like, Ryan, it's just going to be sitting there organically. I'm like, no, it ain't. Oh, well, we, we, we're going to we're going to if it's even if it's me, I'm going to be looking at the camera and be like, guys, buy me and flex this thing. <laughs> you know, you don't you won't even have to hard pitch it. We've got kids to feed. We got kids. We got bills. Got flex, hair dye is not cheap. Hair, hair dye's not cheap. Flex is got private jets. He's trying to get on like <laughs> stuff. Ain't cheap. Oh, uh, but that's the exciting
1: thing about my move to Vegas and has been, you know, the roller index of people that are out here, just like yourself, you know? And, um, it's been the best move for me and my family. You know, it would be hard if my family hated this and I'm having the best time, but my wife is the CEO for, for a lot of my company. She's a networker. She loves Vegas and everything that it brings us. Um, you know, obviously being a man of faith, that line that uh, you have to march, live in New York in Vegas, being Sin City. Yeah. I don't see it. I, I, again, by control and by design, I don't go to the strip if it's just for meals. You know, yeah. I, I get don't get caught up because people have this, you know, perception about Vegas and being, oh, I couldn't live there. It's crazy and stuff. It's like, yeah, it is crazy. <laughs> That's why you stayed away from me.
0: <laughs> you know, I live in Summerlin, <laughs> you live in Henderson. So it's like, yeah. you know. But, but You know what I was... It's funny because I I'm born and raised here. Really? Yeah. Oh shit. I didn't know that. So like, this is my town and everything to me just is like, it's normal. This is how you like live life. I remember
1: Vegas ain't normal, bro.
0: To me, it's normal. (laughs) But like, I remember the first time I um, left Vegas, I went and played college summer ball Mm. um, in Cape Cod and dude, it was like all green. I'm like, where the heck am I at? This place like is all green it's just weird. It's just different. Right. Yeah. And then, um, you know, it, and as my baseball career evolved, I lived literally everywhere. I lived in Canada, mm. Dallas, North Dakota, New Jersey, Stockton, California, in the hood. Like I've lived everywhere. Mm. And I saw like obviously different things and all this, but, uh, when people come to Vegas, a lot of my friends, like from the South or are conservative areas, you know, cause I got a lot of Christian friends that live out there. They're like, dude. How do you live here? Like there's naked girls everywhere. There's like all this stuff. Yeah. And in my mind, I I just don't even notice it. Mm. Like, you know, the billboards and all like it Mommy. just Well, it's just like I don't know. It's just become a, like it's just part of Vegas. I'm like, yeah, it's just whatever. Like yeah. I, I don't even see it
1: again i know we're kind of prolonging this but i'm enjoying this conversation because i kind of woke up from a can of monster you talked my year off so long so long before the podcast <laughs> just to let everybody know uh, and and i got my producer and my videographer here ryan said hey i'm i'm gonna meet you at 11:30." i said come closer to 12 because this you, you know you're not a rookie at this <laughs> i want a business meeting before he said so okay ryan business meeting We chit-chatted away for about 30 minutes before the business meeting started. All viable, all kind of like catching up. I said, Ryan, we're doing a podcast right now. We need to get on air. My producer came and got me. And with Ryan, he saw, um, when he he talks to you, you get so excited about something, passionate. Yeah. That uh, you sucked away my energy at the beginning of this podcast. It's (laughs) taken like the last fucking 20 minutes to get my mojo back. But nonetheless, now my brain is firing. How... As a dad um, and living in Vegas, how, how, do you think about that? How old kids are going to grow up with with so much, like you said, you're blind to it, you know? Yeah. You kind of like subconsciously turned that off. I, I, I'm just saying this, I, as that was my biggest concern, concern yeah. moving you as a yeah. dad, moving from Florida to the school yeah. my daughter was into, then bringing her out here. That was my only biggest concern because I was torn in my heart. But then when I got to the school, sisters, and I seen how it was your... Great school system. She's in private school. I know your kids, I've uh, got a different um, yeah. uh, schooling system, but h- how, how are you prepared to combat that? And, and are you, are you nervous at all about them um, being brought
0: up in in Vegas? You know, I see a lot of people with that fear a lot. Um, I mean, for me, my wife and I were both, we grew up in Vegas. So like we turned out pretty good. And from your standards or somebody else's? <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm here. I'm on, I'm on straight out of the lair. So oh, it, it fall, worked fall out fast. Oh it, shit. Yeah. It's to work out. It worked out. So no, I, uh, I don't know. Like I said, I, I grew up here. It mm. just, to me, it just is a, like normal way of life. And I didn't even recognize any difference. Now being a man of faith, for sure. I actually was just meeting with a nonprofit right before this, mm. um, about fundraising and different things. And they're like, did you know that Vegas has, Clark County school district, which is the sixth biggest school district in the country. And I already knew this, but Clark County is also rated like the 49th like school district in, in some ranking. Right. So it's not very good. And my wife actually was an eighth grade English teacher in the inner city here. And, um, (laughs) I was a great substitute teacher too. So like, I'm very experienced with the school system. I grew up, we both grew up going to public school here. So like, you know, we, we got it pretty dialed in with, what we've seen. That being said, um, life has I, changed, though social media. And oh, all for sure. Stuff. Yeah, life is totally different today than it was when we were in school. Yeah. One thousand um, percent. What we decided is we're going to homeschool. Okay, and every time I talk about homeschool, it like gets so many views because like I think it's just becoming more and more popular. Mm-hmm. And I think entrepreneurs are now realizing, well, freaking, I'll teach my kid more than the school system, and you know, also too, like when you live a lifestyle like ours, where we're traveling a lot and stuff, I want my kids to come with me, you know? So it's, it's more of a lifestyle thing for us. It's an educational thing of like, I know we can teach them better. I mean, we, I, we literally get paid millions to teach people stuff. So like we are running a school Mm -hmm. already. Um, but the third thing is, yeah, like politically with all these crazy things happening in the school system, I'm not about that. And so, you know, whatever, I don't care what anyone else believes, but don't force it on my kids. Yeah, And, you know, we can control that. Now, does that mean that my kids are going to be homeschooled forever or whatever? Like, no. I mean, look, as they get older, who knows? They might be like, dad, we want to go to school and whatever. And we'll make a choice as a family at that time when it comes. So, you know, every decision I ever make, there's no absolutes in life. It's like, this is what I think is the best thing for today. Maybe in 10 years, it's not the case. Cause my wife and I will tell you, we always thought we'd send our kids to public school here and we had no problem doing it. Cause we both grew up in public school. She worked in public school. We're like, dude, it's fine. Then we started to make some money and I was like, all right, we're probably going to send them to private school mm-hmm. just because, you know, that's what you do. Then as time went on and I started interviewing all these entrepreneurs on my podcast, literally almost all of them had their kids homeschooled really yeah almost all of them who were very big entrepreneurs were homeschooling for the same reasons i just mentioned hmm. travel schedule they can teach them better you know the the influences at the school and the, the, honestly too the more i started looking into the psychology of everything it's like man the first 10, 10 years of your kids life is basically like how they are imprinted and what they believe going forward And for me, you know, I think about that and I'm like, well, I should probably be imprinting the values that I want them to have more than some random teacher that I'm assigned.
1: And a a curriculum that is becoming more and more woke.
0: Yeah, for sure. Everything's becoming, you know, this woke culture. But, you know, honestly, as much as it's becoming that way, you're you're now seeing like everyone fight back because everyone's kind of just tired of it. I agree. So I think we might go in the other way five years from now where things might go, you know, not ultra conservative, but they might swing back that way. I mean, that's just kind of like what life is. And people always say they're like, man, you know, Christianity and, and faith is declining every year and all these things. And it's like, well, if you actually look at history, this, this whole woke thing is nothing new. I mean, the hippies, you know, back in the 70s, it's, it was the same thing, right? Like the world was ultra conservative. You know, hippies came along. They had all these different worldviews of how to live life, right? And, you know, they had their time and then there was a new thing happening the next year. Then the 90s were different and the 2000s were different. But one theory I heard on why the school system is so woke these days is because those hippies are the teachers now. Yeah. And I'm like, that makes sense, actually. Like, logically, that makes a lot of sense, um, especially at the university level, mm. which is usually more liberal and woke and whatever else. So, yeah, I don't know, dude. As a dad, Vegas doesn't concern me okay. one bit. I'm not worried about it one bit. Um, I'm more concerned about what am I teaching my kids at home because that's going to have a far bigger impact on them than Vegas.
1: Mom, Well, my mind, listen. I appreciate the uh, the conversation that has been all over the place <laughs> on my. That's on all my behalf. podcasts go to. But again, I've been I've been on your podcast, and uh, why is it every time I, I land the plane, you tell us I break something. They've done the same thing yesterday. Um, but yeah, in uh, in closing this, my friend, is there anything you want to push promote? I know we've already talked about so many different things. Is there
0: anything we didn't cover? Bro, I think everyone just needs to comment and say, Flex, why aren't you going to be at WealthCon? <laughs> you know, October 3rd through the 6th. It's literally in Vegas. Like, you don't even have to fly anywhere. Like, you could literally just, M Casino, it's not far from, like, actually, it's it's, it's, it's five minutes from here. Yeah, And so, I don't know. I'm just kind of offended, but it's all good.
1: Well, you're a good negotiator, and you also hit me in the ego, too.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have to speak with my my
1: CEO, it came my wife. I don't know if you want to stay in the good side of her, but... Well, I'll let you
0: speak. I'm going to go back to the office. We're not going to speak to her together.
1: <laughs> but listen, Ryan, my man, it's always a pleasure whenever it is. I know that, um, you know, you frequently come to the gym here at the Dragon's Lab. Yeah. Uh, even though uh, you've built your own incredible gym at at, at the house, which by the way, I've not had an invite to, but I'm just saying that too. But anyway, um, (laughs) but you were on your own transformation. You've done a phenomenal job. It was a conversation that you and I had many months ago. And it's now, you know, to see you go full circle from having a, a closed mindset of optimal performance, to now seeing where you're at right now, Um, not to open another can of worms, but I, I, for me sitting now in the seat, I'm at looking at you, um just goes to show that you you are open to conversation. You're not a closed minded person. And again, when you're doing business for somebody, things like this, I, I note this. You know, conversations, how you treat people, how you act, walk, talk, it are all plays a part on, on the person I want to align myself, as vice versa. So um just to see you where you are now with your training and, and having a you know the mindset of having a savage body you know, transcends into being a savage in life, right? And um, I truly want to thank you for all that you are for me, my 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 circle of friends, and all the wealth that you give your audience all around the world. You know, you put a lot into this. People don't understand the amount of hours um, that you sit in front of a camera and record and put together worth, you know, that you are putting out to the world. You know, this is all goes back to you. Um, so what comes out of your mouth can truly impact people and obviously we're both in them situations and I know I know again the uh, responsibility that it comes when you have a mic in front of you to to truly give advice so where and what you've done on YouTube in your businesses in more so as a dad as a husband is incredible mate and um, as I said I I find myself more and more aligned um, with you and, and people of that nature every 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 quarter to be honest so um, I truly appreciate you taking time out of your day to come here and uh, listen to me Babylon, and ask you questions. But um, it truly means so much, Mitch. So thank you very much.
0: Uh, I appreciate your friendship, man. Thanks for having me on. You learn from the mistakes of your grandfather and you invest in the likes of your children. Are my kids going to be more likely to want to spend time in the metaverse or are they going to be more likely to want to go camping with their friends? The green energy space is the second fastest growing industry in the world out.